I get buckets. Welcome to another episode of Blue Wire Buckets. We are wrapping up the playoff games that took place Tuesday night, April 16th. We had three three games. I, I hesitate to say three good games. There was uh, some drama in one of them, but the other two were largely duds. Let's start, though, with get right into it. I'm joined by Andrew Bailey of the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli, also of the Hardwood Knox podcast. And we have Carter Rodriguez of the Chase Down podcast, all of us on the Blue Wire Network. So be sure to subscribe to those. Um, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm feeling very outnumbered, Dan. I, I, I was told this would be a collaborative effort um, across the network. And here I am. I feel like uh, the one Republican on Real Time with Bill Maher. Oh boy, this isn't going to be a good podcast for you then. Um, in, in Andy's defense, he didn't really have a choice because I signed us both up. So I well, guess we were man. just trying to monopolize blue wire buckets. We're a combo it. deal. It's going to be a going to be a handicap match tonight. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, you know, I, I've overcome worse odds. I'll three one this shit up, and uh, and we'll Look, talk about. Like you said, you watched Jordan Clarkson for eighty two games yeah. this year. That's <laughs> I've I have endured. Uh, worse uh, in this in in this season, uh, but yeah, today uh, today was a weird day where it mostly was terrible, but the Nuggets uh, made it just fun enough to uh, to be worth watching. Yeah, but let's start with terrible game number one: uh, Orlando Magic and Toronto we're, Raptors. We're uh, really Toronto, we're we're really selling Tuesday's action right now. <laughs> look, it wasn't look, it wasn't terrible if you wanted Kyle Lowry to score points. There is just go. what I'm going to say. Yeah. So Toronto rebounds from their game one loss with a 111 to 82 victory over Orlando. Kawhi Leonard, spectacular, 37 points on 15 of 22 shooting. More importantly, Kyle Lowry on the board after his bagel in game one scores 22 points on eight of 13 shooting. It seemed like not that Orlando's offense was good in game one, but their offense definitely came back to earth a little bit in game two. There certainly was no crunch time. Uh, awesome execution because there was no crunch time. But uh, the question I'll, I'll throw at you first, Carter, is this a series now where we can just accept that the Raptors are going to dominate now that it looks like you know they got that game one loss out of their system like they always have to do and it's clear that Kyle Lowry's not going to bomb every single game and that Kawhi Leonard is just superhuman and that Pascal Siakam is, is just an absolute beast or could you see Orlando continuing to make things interesting as we keep moving forward I mean I think it's uh, it's pretty clearly that the Raptors are you know kind of showed their class uh, the Magic really had no business in that for being as close as they were in that first game and you know, I really think that the big thing about the Raptors, because I'm, I'm, I, I almost feel like I'm higher on them than almost anyone else. I picked them to go to the finals. Ditto. Yeah, and I, and I really, really, um, kind of believe in them, like a degree of magnitude more than any other team. Uh, and I really think what it is is like not only do they have all these pieces that make sense together offensively, but defensively, I just love the versatility and the different kinds of looks they can give a team. Uh, and I think we really saw that against this Magic team, which just has like re- really limited options. Like, 
even you know the DJ Augustine with explosion notwithstanding uh, in game one, you know it's not like the Magic have been able to score very well. Uh, and you know the the thing that I like about this Raptors team is that you've got you've got big perimeter defenders in the wing, you've got post defenders in Gasol, or if you need to get a little bit more mobile, you can throw Ibaka in there. You've got rugged point guard defenders in Van Vliet and Lowry. You just have all these different options defensively, and it just it just feels like you need such elite personnel uh, to score on this Raptors team uh, if at, when they're actually playing at their best. Now, obviously, they weren't at their best in game one because no matter what, I guess, a, you know, a Leopard can't change his spots, but it does feel like the series is uh, going the going to go the way we thought it would. Andy, what happened to MVP candidate DJ Augustine? <laughs> Hate to see it. Um, boy, I don't know. I thought you were going to hit me with what happened to MVP candidate Nikola Vucevic, um, who I have. I can't search the web on Apple Watch. Did you guys hear, hear Siri trying to jump into this? Yeah, well, yeah, I know she she often does, and and but I, I just don't know if she's got the nuance for this. I, I I'd really like to hear what you have to say on the matter. I I think this is like Carter was saying. This is probably just sort of par for the course for the rest of the series. I don't know if they'll lose every game by thirty, um, but there is clearly a disparity in talent between these two teams especially if they're not going to get anywhere near Nikola Vucevic's regular season level production. I was looking at his numbers after game one and it was, I think it was like his third or fourth worst game score, single game game score of the entire season. Um, And I, I would not be surprised if tonight's game score is right in line with that one. So if they're not going to get much from him, they're going to need these like out of body experiences from DJ Augustine like they got in game 1. So, I doubt <laughs> I doubt we're going to see a ton of those for the rest of the series. I don't I don't know if I'm going to say it goes in 5, but it it certainly seems like that's a possibility. Quick question before we uh before we pivot away from Vucevic specifically. Does this kind of could this give them an out? to not pay him what they what we think they're going to have to pay him this offseason because i feel like everyone knows that they're going to pay him and Mm -hmm. it's it's going to be an overpay and but it's like well what else were they going to do we let him to the playoffs and the magic like does this dan do you think any way this gives them like an out i he would have to no i don't think gives them an out but i also don't know it's so tough to understand what his next contract's going to look like because yes he was an all-star yes he led them to the playoffs but what is his market going to be like yeah. teams don't really need starting centers right now when you go up and down the board um and the ones that do a lot of them just don't have cap space and so where's the over the top offer coming from would be my question and i don't think there's that team that's that's out there i think the magic still pay him it's just going to be you know that kind of that clint capella situation in houston where his restricted free agency dragged on but you still end up giving him the bag even though no other team had the money to offer him that much so i think it's one of those situations but if they wanted to they could certainly look to this um and say that i might go the other way though because it finally looked like they could run their offense uh semi-efficiently when he wasn't on the floor over the latter half of the season but if you really take him um and and neutralize him where he's only going to get seven shot attempts a game it forces all these other guys to make shots and you know terrence ross comes up big but you're not going to have the nights that you had from dj augustine in, in game one you know get uh aaron gordon has a good game but then evan fournier turns in in a dud so they just don't seem like they have the consistent firepower to navigate nights where 
he's off. Again, they, it's, as Andy talked about game one, you were able to do it then, but on a night-to-night basis, that's just impossible for them, particularly against a defense like Toronto's. Well, I'll say this. It, it really is hard when your team isn't very good and the Magic aren't that good. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's way too much Wes Wondus slander. Oh, I actually right like there. that guy. Uh, can can we, can we talk about the Nuggets game? Because that was that uh, was actually fun. <laughs> yes. So Nuggets Spurs. Um, after losing Game One at home to San Antonio, Denver comes back winning one fourteen to one oh five. But this was not without drama. Uh, the Nuggets trailed by as many as nineteen at some point in the, nice. th- the third quarter, and they were able to just come back and win it. Their thirty nine point fourth quarter, they outscored the Spurs by sixteen points in that final frame. Jamal Murray went bonkers. In the final few minutes, I the thing that I want to ask about that is: Did anyone see Lamarcus Aldridge's uh, post game quote about that fourth quarter? No, I didn't. Ooh, I did not either. He just said the same thing over and over again oh, about he was like, "It's really tough when they hit contested shots." And meanwhile, he said that over and over again. Meanwhile, that's the Spurs' was, entire offense. Yeah, you know, as you were saying this, I was I was looking through the box score and I was thinking, you know, it's actually probably pretty fun to play for the Spurs. Uh, because like they're just like they just toss you the ball and say go cook young blood like just go do your thing like no no you don't have to like you don't have to do anything yeah just, just maybe set a pin down but mostly yeah we'll just give you the ball and you can like try to do some stuff like it's it it's just a pickup game you don't even have to think at this point it somehow kind of worked for him in the regular season too and, like I, and now I, I mean they're scoring fine yeah that's true I, I kept waiting for their offense to come crashing down. Uh, and it just never did. And like you said tonight, there was a point in the third quarter when Denver was like starting to make their big comeback, and it seemed like San Antonio was scoring on every possession. And I, I just thought, what is going on? Um, they, sh- <laughs> all these constant mid-range contested shots, like Dan just said, Aldridge talked about. Uh, they, they should not be going in at the rate that they're going in. It's, it's, it's hard to believe how they've been so good offensively. Well, I do think, like you know, I. I don't know if you guys feel like the Nuggets are going to end up winning the series, but uh, and I, I definitely count myself among that. But it kind of, if you are someone who thinks the Nuggets could be a conference finalist, which you know, like with the with the Thunder, who looked like a tough matchup for them, struggling against the Blazers, who knows? Um, but the fact that they don't seem to be able to string almost any good defensive possessions together. Uh, is really scary. It feels like the Spurs pretty much got whatever shot they wanted against them. Yeah, I mean, in the fourth quarter, the Spurs, Spurs just got uh, sloppy. I felt on offense. I don't feel like yeah. The I mean, did the four turnovers away. to Denver's zero. Yeah, uh, but the Spurs shot ten of nineteen in the fourth, so fifty-two point six percent. Um, to the Nuggets, 14 of 19, 73.7%. So unless Paul Millsap's on the floor, and he was for the entire fourth, they're not going to string together defensive possessions. And when you look at that game and the shots that Jamal Murray was hitting, just off balance on, he was 8 of 9 from the floor in the fourth, and I would say probably seven of those makes were just off balance yeah. shots. Nicole Jokic only three shots in the fourth quarter, so he's a pretend superstar, obviously, as the tropes going to go. Is that you? <laughs> It's so true or false now, and I think since we've seen it through two games, um, and I'll, I'll throw this one to Andy, uh, Jamal Murray is the, I don't want to use the word X factor, he's the second most important player for this for this series for the Nuggets, or can you even go most important if you think you know you're 
what you're going to get from Nikola Jokic, and you're going to need Murray to have these quarters where he just takes over as a scorer. Um, I think the fourth quarter of this game would suggest that he is. The Nuggets are interesting because it seems like they have four or five guys that on a given night can sort of fill that that role. Gary Harris. You're way too high on Trey Lyles. <laughs> Gary, Gary Harris was kind of that guy for them tonight in the third quarter. Paul Millsap was the one who kind of kept him close for stretches of the first half. I, I think you could probably make an argument for two or three guys, and I think Millsap has the fact that he's the only thing that I think we can consider close to a defensive anchor as, as part of his argument for this role. But I, I think my very political answer is that you could go a bunch of different ways. But, but like I said right off the top, if, if all you watched was the fourth quarter, it, it certainly seems like Murray is the guy that can really truly take over a game. So. I'm I'm just not committing to anyone right now. How's that for an answer for you? Oh, I'd like yeah, that's your expert. Yeah, I'd like to can jump. You, can in. you give us a real answer? Yeah, I'd like to jump in and you know be be a little more uh, forthright with my with my takes here, since Andy's really taking the coward coward's way out. You know, I I think it is. I think Murray is, and not because I think his ceiling is that much higher. Though it, I mean, I think we can all agree, like as a scorer, he, he does have a higher ceiling than than Harris, Barton, Millsap, et cetera. But really, I think a big part of why his scoring specifically is an X factor is he doesn't really do that much else. So, like, if you're going to have him on the court and he's going to be getting lost off ball and and getting cooked in isolation and getting bullied by DeRozan in the mid post, it's like, well, he'd better damn well be scoring well and, and providing some kind of microwave tough shot making quality to a team that doesn't have a ton of tough shot makers. So to that end, I do actually think he is their second most important player. Even if I don't think he's their, uh, even if he doesn't have to be their best or even their second best, he has to at least be doing something positive. I mean, he was a train wreck in the first three quarters of this game. And then he went out and won the thing for him in the fourth. I also think it just comes down to, and maybe this is simplifying it too much, but even when you look at how Gary Harris's points came in the, in the third quarter compared to what Jamal so Murray different. does, in the half court. Yeah, it's just Jamal Murray's from scratch creation where yeah. you can run the two-man game with Nikola Jokic. There's not another player on the team that can really hit those shots. I would say except for Will Barton, who was gone. But he... F- freezing cold yeah, over the he pe- can, since he came back from injury. He can completely torpedo the Nuggets, too. And I guess Jamal Murray kind of did for three quarters. Sure, but, did. Um, <laughs> but it's it sure feels like there are more times when Will Barton's confidence is a problem than there are with Jamal Murray. That's well, yeah. Uh, I I don't think confidence is ever a problem for Jamal Murray. I think just sometimes he plays shitty. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah that's probably by the way, I this is a I was just pouring over this like bo- box score for the first time since watching the game. I did not realize the Nuggets had twenty nine assists to only five turnovers. That's nuts. I wouldn't have realized that either. That's a Nicole Jokic powered offense. Yeah, but you know, normally passing offenses will turn the ball over a little bit more just inherently, you know. And the fact that they got away with only five turnovers—that's kind of like the best indicator for how healthy the the cutting actions that they run were working, though. Before we pivot, before we pivot off this game, because I know we don't have probably much. Time left. Can guys can we can we talk about the Paul Millsap post move on DeMar DeRozan? Because I don't understand why Twitter reacted the way they did do it, guys. Because Paul Millsap 
did the world's slowest jab step towards out of bounds towards nothing towards the baseline but like not in a way that like would have if if DeRozan hadn't moved he would have had an angle DeRozan leapt 40 feet away and Millsap laid it in and my whole Twitter feed was like hell of a vet move from Millsap and I'm just like I don't think DeRozan shouldn't we be roasting DeRozan for this Look, Millsap's 34, and so for him to try and do any sort of jab step uh, would just impress I, me. If, so. if, I, I understand that you're joking right now, but I actually need to know if I'm taking crazy pills because that was the worst defensive possession I've ever seen a post defender do against a face-up, and, and, and no one was roasting the guy for it. I, I actually thought like halfway through that move, I, I remember the thought going through my mind, oh no, he's he's not going to get it. it. He looked like he was moving through the lane like <laughs> molasses. So I, and he kind of finished away from the basket too, even though it was basically uncontested. Yeah, so. it, it was weird. Um, but you're right. De, DeRozan's defense on that was atrocious. I mean, and, I mean uh, it was like someone, a ghost had shoved him. <laughs> in general his his defense is obviously a big problem and i think a lot of people do talk about it um but there's there's still a, a fairly significant segment of twitter that just is in love with the mid-range pull-ups and the kobe like okay i'm gonna um, yell at you <laughs> but because his, no one we follow on twitter is in love with this guy <laughs> oh we i don't, don't know straw man here on blue wire buckets I don't follow any of them, but uh, <laughs> they're certainly in my mentions. Trust me. Well, that's fair. In fairness, you the, deserve it. <laughs> the, the to actually put a bow on this game does this change? Um, and I'll throw this one to well, I'll throw this one to Carter because I might get a more definitive answer from him than Andy. It seems I like. don't know why I'm having um, so much fun poking at Andy today. You know, I love you, buddy. Oh, this is this is basically just hardwood knocks twenty four seven. Is Andy is it me taking shots at Andy and him taking? I'm very tired and slap happy. Um, does this and it's to both of you, but does this change your perception of the series at all? Where the Nuggets were at compared to Game One, we have this overreact uh, tendency to overreact to Game Ones, or are you still concerned on the whole because they had to work their way out of a nineteen point deficit and San Antonio is kind of waiting for a trademark Lamarcus Aldridge performance still although maybe eight of 20 with 10 free throws is basically is basically that but they've yet to have all these guys sort of come together at once it it was the supporting cast in game one that kind of carried them and then now you have DeRozan and Aldridge were pretty much on but aside from Derek Wright no one else was white no one else was doing a ton of work so Carter do you who, who would be your pick for this series as of right now? Or has this changed your level of concern for the Nuggets? You know what's funny is we just joked about Andy being wishy-washy and me being definitive, but I'm going to take this opportunity to be wishy-washy. I don't feel like I know anything about this series still. Like, I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure I've learned anything. It's just like game one just felt weird because the Nuggets hadn't been there yet. And then you know, maybe I guess you could take the opinion that the Nuggets got it figured out in the fourth, but like I, I don't really like that because Murray just went nuts in the fourth to to lead them to the win. I, I don't know. Andy, what do you think? I, I, I'm pretty adrift at sea with this series. What did I what did I pick? Uh how many games did I pick when we did our preview, Dan? Was it Nuggets and six or five? Do you remember? Uh, I think you had Nuggets and six. I had Nuggets and seven. 
I'm still thinking Nuggets in six. I, I feel fairly confident in that. I guess I'm slightly less confident than I was before the series started because for six or seven quarters, it seemed like it was going to be San Antonio in a runaway. I even had a brief moment when I thought, is this series even going to come back to Denver? Because they, it just looked terrible uh, about halfway through this game. And I kept thinking, well, maybe we'll see one of those typical Denver offensive runs that they can randomly have. And they finally had one. Um, it, if it's going to take those that sort of an explosion, though, to steal games, this, this series is going to be competitive, I think, from here on out. But I don't think it's, I don't think these first two games have swayed me enough to go away from Nuggets and Six. That's fair. Um, I would still, I'm sticking with Nuggets in seven. I just think this seems like a series that's going to go the distance. Um, if the Nuggets get upset, though, that would be um, Twitter will have a field day with that. Yeah. Hey, did you see? Uh, did you see that um, Nick Wright thing I posted, Dan? Yes, I did. <laughs> that was so perfect, Dan Carter. Uh, Dan has been saying for months now that he think like he's he's called this almost exactly. He kept saying. The Nuggets are going to play the Spurs. The Spurs are going to win, and people are going to have the most ridiculous overreactions. And so I, I tweeted out something to that effect, and then somebody took a screenshot of Nick Wright's tweet and sent it to me. And about halfway through the game, he said, the Nuggets are exactly what so many of us said they were, a pretend contender with a pretend superstar. Good luck next year, fellas. Man. I think that's a good good point to just move into this Thunder Blazers Oh, man. Mean. Just- mean. <laughs> Look, in the, so in the defense of this game, which the Blazers won, taking a 2-0 series lead, 114-94, to this had the makings of a good game at halftime. And then uh, the Thunder decided to let the Blazers score everything in the third quarter. Oklahoma City is now shooting 10 of 61 from three in that the good? series. That's, that's 16.4% for the mathematicians. So they improved uh, that's it. That's fairly low. They improved it in game two. They were at 18% in game two. <laughs> Russell Westbrook is one of 10 from three in this series. Uh, Paul George was four. He's, he has not been hitting his threes. He is now six of 21 for the series. Are I don't want to make this too general, but Andy, are the Thunder just done? Um, no, I'm not going to go with just done. They're certainly on the brink. Uh, it de- I, I guess it depends on how much different they look on their home floor. Like you said earlier, I think, we're all sort of prone to overreactions over the course of a seven-game series. And if OKC looks like the defensive juggernaut it was in the first half of the season uh, in Game 3, maybe we'll feel a little bit differently. Um, but this is this is a series that I uh, pegged just, um, just flat-out wrong before. I think I took Oklahoma City in six on this one, and uh, that's almost certainly not going to happen. Um, but I don't think OKC is done yet. No, I, uh, I, that's, I, I guess that's fair. What do you feel? I, I don't think they're done yet either. You know, it's funny because going into this series, I was like kind of expecting like, oh man, whoever loses, like I, I can't wait to clown whoever loses because like, but I actually kind of don't feel that way. Like, you know, like I, I haven't like. It's funny, like you made the joke about the, you know, the the fake superstar or whatever, but like. You know, as someone who very much likes clowning Russell Westbrook, I haven't really had any instinct to do so. It just it just feels like the Thunder are a little bit undermanned. And then the Blazers, it's when you see games like this, first off, it feels unreal that they only made 13 threes. It felt like they made 47. 
Um, yeah. Like they, they, the shot making on display for that the Blazers have in that backcourt, only a few teams can really can really match that. And and when you watch them like this in games like this, you kind of wonder why they haven't been more successful in comparison to their peers in the Western Conference. But yeah, I, I don't know. I've just kind of enjoyed watching this series so far, even even though the the Thunder have been ugly. I mean, they're a much better home team, so I'm really interested to see what they look like at home. The rest thing feels very uncomfortable, though. That I will say that I don't feel I don't have any instinct to clown him because I feel uncomfortable. It feels like there's a big gap between him and Lillard right now. Uh, it though, feels right? like a big gap between him and being good at scoring. <laughs> there was I don't know if you guys saw the tweet. I don't have the handle handy, but. Uh, someone tweeted saying that Russell Westbrook should take the same number of jumpers per game as Ben. But like the thing that's like, so like, I guess like, again, this is, I think this is why I'm not that interested in making jokes about it is because it's like, I'm not sure what I want him to do. Like he's not exploding towards the rim. Like he used to, can we all agree that he doesn't, yeah, I hesitate to say that. I still feel like a lot of it's a decision made. Dude, decision-making. I, I just feel like that layup in transition where he clearly had CJ beat and just like was going a little too fast and it just like flew off the backboard. And it's like, you know, it's just like the touch around the, he doesn't have quite the same hang time and control in the air to me. Like, I, I just feel like a guy like that, like it's just so hard if they drop five to 10% athleticism. And I and I'm worried that happened with Russ. At least vertical athleticism. I mean, he still seems fast as shit. But you know, there's different kinds of ways to be athletic, and I feel like he's dropped off just a little bit in his explosion up towards the rim. I mean, it's probably fair to say that he's yeah. on the wrong side of which is thirty. Okay, he's dealt you know? with all these injuries, yeah, which is fine. I do think, though, I'm not necessarily supporting his shot selection, but so much of their offense is is tethered to him maintaining that same level of aggression. And I don't know that, I mean, he can cede more to Paul George, but Paul George uh, chucked up 20 shots in this game and he threw up 15 threes uh, or maybe we should say belched up 15 threes in, in game one. So it's, it seems like a lack of firepower outside of George and Westbrook. Yeah. I mean, this team, this team just like, this has been kind of the, the, the story of the Sam Presti era, which is, no one really cared that he didn't have any secondary scores or playmakers around his lead guys when he had three of the best high usage players in the league. But ever since, like, it's just felt like they were just two, two to three playmakers away. And, you know, I thought Dennis Schroeder was an acceptable swing and to get off the mellow deal while you were at it. But like, he stinks. And it's just like, I kind of tilt the other way. Isn't it a red flag when a lottery team was so oh, desperate? Oh, sure, but like, you know, like the, the, you hear things like like that he's kind of a jerk and or or you know, not not easy to work with and you just drafted a point guard and you don't want him poisoning your culture and he's definitely a little overpaid, but like I get those kind of swings. Like I don't think that's an inherently stupid swing um when you're as cap-strapped as the Thunder are, but you know, I don't know, maybe it's just a matter of like it's hard to find those kinds of guys when you're paying Westbrook, George, and people forget Stephen Adams, who is amazing and we all love him, but like that's not something he adds to your team. So if he's eating up a big chunk of your cap sheet, then maybe there's your answer right there. It's just like they just don't have any way to get this, you know, secondary and tertiary playmaking 
that can also shoot. So it's just they've just loaded up on these defender uh, freak athletes uh, like Nerlens and Jeremy Grant, who you know maybe in the regular season hit some open threes, but when it matters, they don't. So I don't, I don't know. It's just it just doesn't feel like the right way to construct a team, especially around Russell Westbrook. So Carter basically just said Blazers in four. Um, Andy, what do you have? I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna flip it now. I'm gonna say Blazers in six. I have some numbers for you Hit guys me. though. Here's here's Russell Westbrook's last two postseasons. Yikes, so we're only yikes, dealing yikes, with about yikes in advance. Think about that extra shade he just threw. We're only dealing with about <laughs> negative six games worth of samples. We're only dealing with about 300 minutes here, but he's shooting 38.9 percent from the field. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you guys guess this one. How much better or worse do you think OKC's net rating is with him on the floor in the playoffs the last two years? Oh, this is mean, Andy. Huh. I'm gonna say 15 points better with him off. Yeah, this Ooh. is like one of those things where like we're gonna guess something crazy because the only reason you'd ask us is if it's crazy. Uh, I'll say like five points better when he's off. Dan, it was it's 14 and a half points worse. So you were. How very, many minutes? I mean, I know and, we're already dealing with small samples. Like he plays like forty-three minutes a game, though. That's that's a little yeah. Tough. He's. I mean, it's and, and he's taking almost twenty-five shots a game. Twenty-five shots a game, shooting under forty percent, and OKC is really struggling with him on the floor. Um, I just feel like that's a symptom, not the problem. Like the problem is that they don't have anyone else that's capable, and. and I, I agree with you that it would be it would certainly be better if he had more shooters that he could kick out to. There, I think it might have even been Sam, another Blue Wire Buckets co-host, who tweeted at some point this season that basically OKC's success depends on Paul George shooting like Stephen Curry, which he did for like two or three months. And for the two or three months that he didn't shoot like Stephen Curry, they were a much much different team. So if they don't get if they don't get some kind of like supernova performances from him or maybe Jer- like Dude, Jeremy like Jeremy Grant is a couple George was okay yeah. today he was pretty good yeah he, he, was, so he actually like, was just, um it, but his threes like he was only two of seven from three but he did shoot over 50 percent from the field he was he was not bad um but they might need him to be like January February Paul George which was high 30s yeah. uh, 40 points like a 65 through shooting and that's just a lot to ask yeah, I just – is it even that, though? It's just – they have other people – they just don't have anyone else that can make threes consistently. Jeremy Grant, um, the big test was going to be can his three-point shooting extend to the playoffs, and thus far he's 0 of 8. Mm. So it's just it's just a huge problem. And the Thunder for this series, by the way, are now minus 42 points from beyond the arc. Yeah, just – two games. Yeah, that's, I, I think that really is all you need to say, Dan. Like it just feels like, you know, the math problem is they're at a, they're at a deficit here. They're they're losing that basic math and like sure the thun, the Blazers aren't going to hit as many crazy difficult shots with the defender draped all over them, uh you know in OKC but I just don't know if they've had twenty points better worth of just random luck of just you know some shot you know make or miss league I don't think it's been that's why this series has been so lopsided so far but. You know, I, I do think that the Thunder are so different at home. So it's it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, this series will be interesting to wrap up. 
Um, hopefully we are in for more interesting games on Wednesday night and just in general for the rest of the playoffs. But that will do it for us on this episode of Blue Wire Buckets. I am Banff Valley. I was with Andy Bailey and Carter Rodriguez. Make sure you're following Blue Wire on at Blue Wire Pods on Twitter and keep tuning in to the uh Blue Wire Buckets podcast where we are going to try and fulfill all of your playoff summary needs from here on out. Until next time, everybody.